Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. I am your host at the Visual Workplace, and I am delighted to be speaking to you again live. This show is live. This is our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak, letting the machines speak, letting the benches speak, and the carts, and the cabinets, and the floors, so that we can just relax and flow. We can do our work. We can create a little bit of extra space inside of us. We can plug into some of the higher values and higher thinking that is unavailable when there's too much struggle in our work and, of course, in our lives. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of workplace visuality, how to, impe- how to embed, I beg your pardon, how to embed the intelligence, our intelligence, into our operational system, into the landscape of work. We're embedding intelligence into the physical work environment through visual devices visual solutions. These are not cookie-cutter solutions. These are inventive solutions. And in addition, there'll be a set of them that will follow the methodology, a kind of protocol of what needs to be in place in order to reach a, may I say, standard or uh, acceptable level of performance. And then there'll be highly inventive robust visual devices that are created to respond to certain specific risks or challenges or the removal of struggle. So there's a combination of the two. We've got the methodology to guide us along our way, but we also have this vast imagination once we understand the principles of visuality, and there is a set of them. In fact, there are uh, there's a large set and then there are subsets. Once we understand those principles, we are free to diagnose the situation, to see where our information deficits are, and some of them are microscopic and nevertheless powerful, and then to remove them, to eliminate them through solutions that are visual. So we're eliminating the information deficit that caused the enemy to appear, and we call that enemy motion, moving without working, we're eliminating those information deficits, and by eliminating those, we eliminate their symptom, motion, moving without working. Wonderful, wonderful. And then we reap huge business benefit. We enjoy ourselves along the way. We have an aligned and vigorous culture of continuous improvement. We go to work to think, as Taichi Ono told us, folks do at Toyota, we go to work to think, to contemplate, and to invent, to create, to improve. This week, I want to share with you some experiences and observations from my travels that I've been on since January. It's been wonderful, and it has been uh, pretty much nonstop. I call them improvement snapshots from around the world. We'll get to them in a moment, but first, just a few announcements, and I also want to set up um, a kind of paradigm of thinking or a kind of description that will help us understand some of the work that I've been doing. First, an announcement. I'll be in England at the end of May for a keynote 
and also a visual thinking seminar followed the next day by a visual side assessment. I'll be doing that again in June, this time in San Antonio, Texas, under the auspices of AME, Association for Manufacturing Excellence, excellent organization, and we'll be at the plant of uh, Doug Carlberg. It's called uh, M2 Global, M2 Global in San Antonio. should be very interesting. In England at the end of May, I'll be at Megid Repair. It's an aerospace overhaul and repair facility near Coventry. So I wanted to talk a little bit about these side assessments so that you get um, a, a somewhat broader picture about how to apply new knowledge in your plant exactly as it is, what to look for, and how to organize your thinking. These side assessments that we do on the second day, the first day is a seminar introducing the model. The second day is a side assessment. I call it a visual side assessment. Are not just walkabouts during which you get a chance to see what another plant is doing and then they get to benefit from your comments and suggestions. While that happens, that is not the core purpose of the walkabout of the tour. The core purpose is, well, twofold. If you are a registrant, someone who has come to learn, then you attend the overview seminar, pretty much following exactly the lines of my visual thinking book, the one with the blue neutron on the cover, so you get the model. And then the next day you enter the plant, having that model in mind, I call that model the 10 doorways. You may remember that in the first week in January of this year, we conferred our first three Visual Workplace 10 Doorways Award. Remember to Nautabom Trailers in Holland, Parker Hannafin in Irvine, California, and Delphi Deltronicos in Matamoros, Mexico. So the model is for assessment is the 10 doorways, which allows you to see nine categories of visual function plus get insight into the improvement infrastructure so that you can see if the plant has particular strengths in visuality, has complete absences, and whether or not it's supported through the application of time and an infrastructure. So the core question with this model in mind, and there's a, a handout, so this model in hand, is to what extent, to what extent, is visual functioning, is visuality functioning in this plant? Looking at the specific categories of visual function. The doorways. Remember the first doorway, operator-led visual order, 5S owned by the operator, owned by the value-out associate, and brought into solid application of the visual wear. So neat and clean is just the step to get us to the place where Visual information will stick in the environment, but then we put the visual wear in place. Border, address, and if possible, an ID label. And here's the lovely part for everything that casts a shadow. It's a very interesting model. Visual standards is doorway number two. Are they captured and deployed visually? Are your standards captured, accurate, complete, and are they deployed visually? Doorway number three, visual displays. Information for the supervisor. The supervisor is the I, as in the individual, as the person, captured in an interactive format, a format that illuminates cause and helps that harrowed supervisor gain control over his or her corner of the world. 
that control is so needed for psychic safety. So we looked for the extent to which that's being addressed, the need of that eye, supervisors and managers, visual leadership, metrics, metrics that count, they're your KPIs, and then metrics that drive. And that brings us to visual problem solving and to Hoshin. Okay, and we talked about this during two or three shows in February and March. And you walk about and you assess to what extent are these functions, I call them categories of visual function, in place. I want to get away, as you know, from the language of devices because if we think about the devices alone, we will miss the system that these devices reside in. Okay, and their impact on that system in both framing it and also advancing it. Okay, so you have an HR system, you have a machining system, you'll have a maintenance function or system, you'll have operations that are done on the value-add level systems and that sort of thing. If you've tuned in before, I think you're used to this language. If this is new, I hope it's a little primer for you and you catch on. It's a very specific model. And, you know, it shows the ripeness of being worked on for 30 years. That's what I've been doing instead of doing something else. <laughs> so you look. And then you look for visual controls, doorways number five, doorway number five and pull systems. And then doorway number six, pokey oak devices. Those six of the ten doorways are your core. And you look for this. And if it's an asset-driven plant, then you're going to look for machines that speak. Because how you implement visuality is in many ways more telling. You also look at how the plant has implemented visuality. So we've got the what, which is the doorways, but the how is how do you implement it? How do you put it in place? And how do you get the precision and do you pursue iterations? Do you continually look for more robust, more relevant solutions, okay? And you keep working like that. And we, and we assess it, we assess against that. We're looking for an environment that meets the definition of the destination, a work environment that is self-ordering, self-explaining, and because it's self-explaining, it's self-regulating. We look for self-improving, a built-in PDCA loop, P, um, plan, do, check, and, uh, act, or adjust, as some people like to. Translate it. And you look for that. You look for the presence of a behind-the-scenes infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And you look for the smart utilization of time, a careful distinction between production time and improvement time. You look to see if improvement happens only through rapid improvement events or Kaizen blitzes. Or is there also room and accommodation made for individual contributors who are thinking and inventing outside those events. So this is what you do. We go, we plow through the plant, we plow through the offices, we look for these um, living um, witnesses of visuality. And then in small groups, people cull their findings. What did they see? What does it mean? And they compile recommendations. Based on what I've seen and what I take it to mean, I would suggest that you advance further by doing thus and so and it's presented so i wanted to tell you this because over the last four or five months that's what i've been doing i've been doing these seminars some of them public some of them on on site for a prescribed audience of people who only work at that plant or in that company and 
we follow it with an assessment. So I, I, I want you to kind of bear that in mind as I walk through my uh, little road show in just a second. Now I have something to the slightly to the left that I want to say that this is just at the correction of a mistake. In last week's show on the four power levels, I said that the four power levels was not available as an on-demand small screen webinar. I was wrong. It is, and it's a really, really good one. So if you're interested in the four power levels, which we covered over the last two shows, you can get the whole thing with pictures, good narration, lasts about an hour and a half. Just check our website, visualworkplace.com, and you'll see it there. I think it's well worth it. This is going to be small screen. It'll just fit on your on your monitor, but also um, you can get it big screen under different arrangements. You can check all that out. So uh, we're going to get on to the trip notes now. I think I've talked ourselves into a break. I'm going to have to talk a lot faster if I'm going to get through all of this material. I think some really interesting things happened. So I'm going to say uh, let's slide into this break right now. And as soon as we get back, we'll start talking about what happened. Thanks. See you in a minute. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. 
Hi, hi, hi. It's Gwendolyn. So, on to our trip notes. Since January, I've traveled a lot. I've taken my dog and pony show on the road to faraway places and near Salt Lake City, Newark, I'm sorry, Newark, Delaware. There is such a place. Wyoming, Rhode Island. That's the name of the city. Wyoming, Rhode Island. Boston and also to India, Pune, India, which is about three miles, uh, three hours outside of Bombay, Mumbai, and cities across Australia and multiple locations in the UK. We've done these seminars that I just described and a ton of visual side assessments and some keynotes and special sessions on leadership and problem solving, visual problem solving, of course. So these have been to, the, the side assessments have been to Manufacturers of medical devices, hip replacement components, health care diagnostic devices. We went to a regional medical center in, in Australia, to aerospace suppliers all over the place, large 40 plant corporations and small, we only have 70 employees type companies. Makers of huge boilers big enough to fit a house in, manufacturers of transformers and industrial vibrators and windows and doors and potato chips. But they're called crisps because the company was in the UK. So it's been very, very interesting. You know, I get home and my cat Merlin doesn't speak to me anymore or take food from my hand, but I can't resist the call I get to learn. I see so much. I learn so much. And you know what? You know what? Visuality is contagious. This whole thing is contagious. Continuous improvement is contagious. And so is employee engagement. People want this. And soon we'll get leaders to want to get ignited and to embed their wisdom into form. That's my hope. I think it's happening too. I think it's happening. These principles and practices of streamlining, improving, sustaining, they're spreading. Don't be discouraged. Be full of hope. They are spreading domestically and in far-flung, even exotic places around the globe. Some of the companies that are getting on board are new to the quest for operational excellence, but many of them are second or even third generation achievers. They've been on the journey for a long, long time. And things are changing, changing, changing. You know, people can get hooked on change. This was a surprise to me. I realized that we don't mind change. What we mind is uncertainty. And those two things are often hooked together. But the change itself... If we know we're going to be okay and things are actually going to eventually get better, we can live with that. But it's the uncertainty. Let's go to India, for example. Here's a country of huge flux, dynamic change, and yet a tremendously long history. So we get this mix of the kind of invasion of the 21st century and the ancient, the ancient requirements of a mature civilization. There's a great deal of uncertainty, yet over the past 25 years or so, this country with a population now of 1.2 billion people, I don't even know what that means, I just read it on Google, a population of 1.2 billion people, this country has migrated into a manufacturing base and the result is there's increasing stability, 
in the economy and in the ways of manufacturing and it is spreading. New forms, new structures, new standards, everything's getting embedded. The economy is bursting. And it has capitalized, this transformation has capitalized on India's deep societal strengths. The family, a cohesion to God, a spirit of adventure, an intellectual curiosity that became so valued and so valuable in the days that uh, Britain ruled and now in the decades after independence, 1949. It has been a tricky transition, filled with uncertainty, filled with a ton of violence, but the deepening of the industrial economy is slowly moving the dial. Stability is taking root, and this kind of psychic safety is beginning to exert itself. It's nowhere there, but you're beginning to, I begin to see signs of this. I've been going to India since, I think the first time I went was like 1985. It's home to me. I love the country. I love the people. And I love the progress. I wanted to start a company there back in the 1980s. Ah, boy, I was very close. I had my apartment picked out very close, right on the ocean. First big wave came along. I would have been swept away. and That would have been the end of me. <laughs> I wasn't very smart. Anyway, it didn't happen. But here's, here's the thing. You go into a Western hotel And you have nothing to do but to jump into a car and you leave the West behind and suddenly you're in the heart of it all. And the heart of it all is called traffic. Traffic in India is a phenomenon. Hundreds upon hundreds of cars, open trucks, honking incessantly, flooding through the streets and around every corner, five, six, seven lanes of traffic on either side, traffic lights on these immense main roads were set to, I couldn't believe my eyes, 110 seconds. You would sit at a light for 110 seconds. So you sat there, you contemplated your life, you grabbed a quick meditation, and bam, the light finally changed, and the lanes on your side sprung to life. It's a very interesting model to have that much time for just holding still and waiting. And I know it's because there's so much commotion happening in the middle that you need a kind of minute and a half, almost two minutes, to just kind of get a feel for what's going on there before you move, can move ahead more safely. But leave the main artery and all semblance of any kind of lanes or safety disappears. Oh, my goodness. It's a place where individual choice, and I'm using that word advisedly, and imminent risk makes the order of borders irrelevant, the order of lanes irrelevant. It's just like a stream of water going around rocks. Traffic went around our little car on both sides because it could. (laughs) because it could. So I had to leave the hotel the first day I was there because I left my brush in Oregon. Oh, my goodness. I discovered I had no brush. This became a screaming priority. And I went to my esteemed host, the president of the Kaizen Institute, Mr. Vinod Grover, lovely, lovely gentleman, and said, I need help. He said, come on, I'll take you. We jumped into his Honda and off we went into this madness called traffic. Shopping. Because cars in India came at the same time as the British rule, I sat as a passenger in the driver's seat and coming at me undefended and unprotected, coming at poor little me was a river of cars. 
trucks, three-wheel taxis, a flood of mopeds, most with two or three people perched on them. This is a tiny little moped motorcycle, and perched with them was today's shopping or laundry. Several had a young father. Many had a young father driving with one of three children sitting in his lap, and right behind him was the young mom, stunning in her sari, holding two or three more little ones. I forgot to be afraid for my life. I was afraid for theirs. But they went tooling down the road, avoiding collisions with other mopeds, with other families on them like their own, with great serenity. I saw mayhem, but it wasn't. It was certainty. It was certainty. There was nothing confusing about it. They knew exactly what to do. The mayhem had a kind of stable quality to it. It's, it's part of the social fabric. This has given India tremendous strength to enter into this new economic wave. It started about 20 years ago, just when I was wanting to start my company there. Hmm? And I was, you know, there I was looking at this with big round eyes. And Mr. Grover, what did he do? He was smiling and laughing. He was definitely amused. I was there open-mouthed. I think that's why he volunteered to help me find a brush. He just wanted to see me in turmoil. I had a great time. For me, India is the true home of um, a kind of development that we can't find anywhere else on the planet. On the planet, It's also home for wonderful curry full of ghee. It's heaven. It was very, very interesting. But returning to our theme, the intellectual rigor with which India absorbs continuous improvement is stunning and it is distinct. While there are certain cultural norms that stand in the way of deeply embedded employee empowerment, namely the Brahmins and the cash system, which still casts its long shadow across the society, the scholarly and scientific disposition of the Indian mind completely gets the re-engineering aspects of lean. They are capturing time-based improvement. They are streamlining. They are simplifying. Watch this country. This is a very, very uh, aligned aspect in one of the world's most entrenched bureaucracy. Transformation at this point, in my belief, is unstoppable, brimming with tremendous change. It's a revolution in manufacturing, yes, indeed, but it is also a revolution of societal rules. And they are melting in the face of the, this manufacturing transformation. It's so very interesting. The subcontinent, India, cannot afford not to empower its workforce. It cannot, it cannot afford not to be safe, not to have safety, and that can only come when the workforce is empowered. This is as much a revolution in consciousness for the hourly employee as it is for the Brahmin managers and engineers who have been the center, the brokers of organizational power and knowledge for decades, if not millennia. So it's very, very interesting. Watch India. They are gobbling up our knowledge. They need a little help in moving forward quickly, but their absorption of knowledge is without peer. Hmm? India society, Indian society is full of creative expression, excitement, emotion, and these are now being harnessed for work. 
I was stunned. I was so happy to be back, and I gladly go at any time. These are just my comments, my observations. I was so welcomed, but also had so many deep conversations that I will say I rarely have in the United States about conceptual issues and subtleties of paradigm. So it was a a complete pleasure. We're going to move into a break now. When we come back, we'll go to Australia, and then we will uh, stop at the UK, and then we're going to go to the Shingo Prize in Jacksonville, Florida. That's where I was last week. I will see you in just a moment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. And we just left India. We're going to Australia. But I want to say that for about the last four months, I've been wanting to tell you a story about leadership that happened in India. And I won't have time to do it today either. But I'm going to find a place to do that soon. I am so impressed by the depth of change that's happening there. So we'll just have to put that on the shelf. And I'll tempt you. With coming back to hear that, I should be able to get to it in the next three or four weeks. So let's go to Australia, another booming economy on the far side of the world. 2.3 times larger than India, but its headcount, its population, hovers at about 20, 22 million. And the coast of this large island, I always think of Australia as an island because it's completely surrounded by water. It's, you know, the only um, kind of floating piece of real estate on our, on our globe where you can see it just floating in the middle of the Indian Sea. The coast is peppered by the main cities, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Sydney, Perth. And then there's this vast middle. It's called the Red Earth Middle. 
and it has an allure of its own. For me, Australia is a form of paradise. I mean, personally speaking, I feel very at ease there. My psyche eases up. Everything is so far away, or so it seems. And the Aussies are such fun. They are wildly funny. They have a great sense of humor. They love to laugh. They love to play jokes. They're feisty. They're fearless. They are family-based. They really care about each other. They look after each other as a people. I'm not talking about the kind of shoddy fringes that we find in any society, but I mean the core. You can feel that that's really the true heart of Australians. They're a little bit rough as well. And the land of Oz, that's what they call it, the land of Oz, spelled O-Z. The land of Oz maintains a strong manufacturing base. Some of the companies are among the most innovative that I have visited or I've come to know. Visuality is catching on there. And the visuality is very inventive. For example, at Volgren Bus, right outside of Melbourne, they have many, many fine visual systems. They have some gaps, but they have strength in areas that are immediately detectable. And what, they have one of the best improvement idea processing boards I have ever seen. And they start the improvement processing with the problem. What is the problem that this improvement idea is going to address? It's an amazing board that allows managers to track the process and the progress simultaneously with idea owners tracking their own contributions. It's a miracle of clarity and connectivity. So creative, I haven't even imagined those many layers, those many layers of meaning on a single surface. A lot of interactivities, things that move, but it's, I was so impressed. So across the past three decades, Australians have learned along with the United States and in many ways led the way. I don't think it is in any way fair to say that the Australians have learned from us, not at all. You know, Australia is the land that invented the concept, but you didn't know this, the concept of value-add, non-value-add. That did not come from Toyota. That came from Australia. We now take that language for granted, VA versus NVA. But before 1984, it did not exist. And discovering it opened the secrets of the Toyota system to the world, opened up the concept of time. We were all heading in the wrong directions. And the Aussies set us right. I probably, did I tell you that story? I don't think I did yet. I'm going to check the archives. And if I haven't, I will tell you this soon, maybe even on the next show, maybe even next week. There's a, a lot more color to it. And I think, you know, these stories that become legends in our own time are so interesting in their detail. I just gave you the kind of shell of it, but it's a lot more sweaty than um, than what I just described. So the Aussie companies are learning what we are, that what we're learning, that in continuous improvement, you take two steps forward and one step back and you better call that progress because that's the movement that you're going to get. Two steps forward, one step back. We call it progress. Let's keep going. A lot of things, and here's another thing. A lot of things that appear not to be working in the short term will work if you keep going. This is a great lesson in implementation. Keep going. It's like a stream. 
that disappears underground. And you think, oh, no more water. We're out of water. But you keep going. And the stream appears again. It's like love. It seems to disappear. You keep going. It comes up again. And that's the way it is with improvement, which, by the way, is one of the great organic processes. So over the last three to five years, we have realized that change that does not last is almost worse than no change at all. Another reason to capitalize on the change that you've started and tweak it to create the next phase of the change. We call that sustainment, but it's also iterations. So it's one of the reasons why visuality is so helpful. It helps us set up a foundation, a platform structured in on which change can happen and behave, misbehave, and then grab. I can hardly number the companies I've encountered over the last four months that have held on to the belief that visuality was about individual solutions or devices. And all a company had to do was to find and copy the ones that worked for it and a visual workplace would be achieved. That's part of the reason why I take my little show on the road to substitute a different thinking. Because visuality is a language, one can spot this misconception in the language that people use. Even without visiting the company, without doing an assessment, as soon as I hear some of the comments and questions that I'm asked or that are um, floated at these seminars, especially the public ones, I know what that plant is like. I already have the picture. I hear the repeated use of us and them, us and them. We did this. We did that for them. They didn't. Blah, blah, blah. And I know there's an imbalance. I listen for how devices get into place, what I was referring to at the beginning of the show. How does visuality get into place? Because that is the step that determines the destination. That is the first step of the journey. How are you going to put the what into place? Hmm? I listen for the word audit. And I listen for the desperation and sadness of people saying, we got a world-class audit. Oh, my God. But it doesn't help us. And people hate it. How can I get people to stop hating audits because they're a part of our life? And we talked about that many times over the last three or four months. And I also check for openness in these sessions that I've had. Australia, because I did so many of them, I was there for a full month. I look at how people greet expanded definitions, in this case of workplace visuality. Many, most, welcome the new inputs. Humble, eager, attentive, absorptive. These are the marks of great learners. The great learners I've met throughout these last four months in the UK and Australia and India intellectually outstanding in this regard and my fellow americans us us u.s citizens we often distinguish ourselves for a set of opposite traits we're judgmental we're harsh we're impatient we're dismissive i find it remarkable that as a people and i'm an american so i'm allowed to talk like this because i i know it in myself we are faster to reject newness than to examine it. We rarely reserve judgment. We always speak it. We jump in and then we may or may not consider it later. And I've seen this trait 
I've done how many? Maybe six seminars since uh, in the United States. It's a remarkable difference. When I'm working in a foreign country, something new comes out of me because the people who are listening allow it. I don't have to defend myself. I can build on my learning by listening to them, listen to me, listen to them, listen to me. You see, we must learn this. As a people, we must learn this. Hmm? We have so many gifts. So I'm no innocent. I'm an American. I jump in first. But the contrast is stunning. I had the privilege of visiting two very small companies in Australia, an aerospace supplier in Albury called Millspec and A&L Windows, very different company. One is very high tech and the other is um, a kind of high velocity, um, low complexity manufacturer. And the gumption and courage of these companies, each with less than 100 people, was inspiring. And I saw large companies with the same spirit of innovation, of patience, the same hope. I think that's one of the things that strikes me the most about Australia. They're very peppy. They really do believe in their future. They believe in their ability to solve and their ability to get better. It's, it is a national characteristic. Australia has many strengths. You know what I'm hoping? I received an invitation to do visuality with some Aboriginal people. I'm waiting for that to come through. That would be so cool. And what a privilege that would be as well to work in in a group that uses language in a completely different way. What would the workplace be like? I will only know by seeing it happen. I don't have an imagination about that, but I have great willingness. You know, I wanted to mention something else. In one of the companies I went to, you know what? I want to move to a different subject, and I'll come back to, to that one in a moment. I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about oh, Wilson Transformer and Albury Wodonga. These folks really like my work, and we started to work about four years ago. They got very far. They used the machine as the anchor point for their visual conversion, and we kind of worked on this together, quick changeover, and then making the machine speaking speak. I was at a distance. But that did not slow the progress at all. They were, these people plowed in, they got very excited, very inventive, and very embedded. The results were excellent. And on the basis of that, Wilson, under the inspired leadership of the GM, his name is John Redford, one of my favorite people in the world, began shoring up other parts of the enterprise. New facility, new products, new markets. And John did this. He plowed his company's success into the community. He took on a program called the Solar Car in support of teenagers to help bring them into the world of manufacturing. I was blown away by the specialness of this and the hominess of this and the personal investment that this really very impressive leader, John Redford, uh, embraced to help children. Learn engineering and design skills. They would spend 60 hours designing and building a little machine and then they would pray for sun because it was a solar car and they would race it around a piece of his property, of the Wilson property. So intimate, so feeling, so much feeling, so much heart. This guy had stars in his eyes when he talked about that. I mean, he likes his company and the products, but to see that 
level of executive leadership help children as well in the community. And he's going to draw upon those children. They're going to be the workforce of tomorrow, right? He doesn't want them to go to Sydney or Melbourne. I'm getting a signal from my technician that we're going into a break. So when we come back, I will talk a little bit more and uh, tell you about the Shingle Prize as well. See you in a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. We are going through my trip notes over the last four months. I've been kind of running around carrying the message about this and that and discovering some really interesting things about this interesting world that we live in. And I was just talking about Wilson Transformer in Albury, Wodonga. They basically rode the wave of improvement. And then they use those extra resources to uh, expand and to create new products. And now they are at a place where they need, they, they know that they need to get back. They need visuality to spread. They need to go deeper into a system of production. And so that's going to be their next piece. The same with R.M. Williams, an iconic Australian company, footwear and clothing designer and manufacturer for the Outback. They do Outback boots and raincoats and wonderful, wonderful, uh, iconic cowboy things. Cowboys, uh, cowboy things that the, uh, the founder, R.M. Williams, uh, was inspired 
to do based on his trip to Texas many, 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 many decades ago. So what's interesting about R.M. Williams is it's a textile manufacturing environment. And you know what? They really want to be a world-class, a leader in operational excellence, but they don't have a model, which means they're going to have to create their own model because there is not, that I know of, a well-functioning visual textile manufacturer. I haven't come across it. If you know of one, please let me know. I will find my way there and take a look. The, the problem is that without a model, we hesitate. We feel the uncertainty that I was referring to earlier in the show. We don't mind the change, but do we really know we're going to get there? Can we be certain that we're going to get there? Hmm? So we get a little bit nerv- nervous. That's why models are so important. Someone has done it before us. I do not discredit models at all. I think they're very important. In fact, in a way... You know, I think about extreme sports, and from my armchair, when I'm looking at these guys and ladies uh, <laughs> dealing with what looks like uncertainty every second they're on a mountainside or under a vast wave, I kind of get scared for them. But then I say to myself, wait a minute, they're not in uncertainty. They already have a model, and more than a model, they have skill. They've done this before. They know how to do it. They are pursuing perfection, that perfect wave, that perfect ski slope, because they know that they can handle it when it comes. So they have a model, right? And when it's achieved, when we've gone down that perfect vertical drop, snow flying, no avalanche in sight, or skimmed our hand across the inside face of the curl in a pipeline of gargantuan proportion, The thrill is there because we have skill. Hmm? I started rock climbing when I was 50 because there wasn't enough fear in my life. That's what I said to myself. Gwenny, you need more fear in your life. You're getting complacent. But I never developed enough skill, if I may be really corny, to have the thrill of the climb. I chickened out. I got too much fear in my life too fast. So Australia is very, very interesting. We have no skill right now at creating a textile model, but there are some opportunities coming up, and maybe in the next couple of years we'll have one to present. Just a mention about my stops in the UK. Similar to India, people were very, very engaged, almost on a scholarly basis. They would consider, they would listen, they would absorb. They would benefit from your wisdom. I would benefit from theirs. Courtesy was always in place, and we had so much fun afterwards in the pubs. It's great. It was a great, and I'm going back there, and I would be happy to go back again and again and again because of the absorption level of the English people. So let's take our final stop, the Shingo Prize in Jacksonville, Florida, last week. Excellent conference, and also an outstanding awards gala, (laughs) tuxedos and that sort of thing. Challengers spanned the world. 50% of the Shingo Awards went to companies in South America. They may have been on the bronze level or or, um, silver level, but so much of South America is involved in the Hispanic world and also in Portugal and Brazil won many awards. Rexham in uh, the Rexham plant in Brazil won the Shingo Prize along with U.S. synthetics 
in Utah. There were 17. The prize is a beacon of knowledge, of know-how, and of support, these principles and practices. And by the way, Bob Miller is going to be on our show soon, we think in June, and we'll be able to hear more about them. The Shingo Prize. So I want to end, if I may, uh, with um, a poem, if I may, that I shared when I thanked the Shingo Board for the Shingo Research Prize that my book, Work That Makes Sense, got this year. My brother, Gary Galsworth, a poet in his own right and a plumber by choice and disposition, was in the audience. Hmm? As you know, I told you about this before, perhaps with too many words. Our two worlds had never met before, and it was such a treat to have him there hearing about this hubbub of operational excellence from someone other than me. On my part, I handed out 40 or 50 copies of Gary's book of poems, Yes, Yes, which is available for 12 bucks on Amazon, by the way. Beautiful, exquisite poems that he had been writing for 40 years and I only found out about three years ago when he sent them to me and said, hey, sis, what do you think of this? I handed them out to everyone, likely and unlikely. And, you know, far more engineers than I ever expected turned out to be closet poets. It was really lovely. And I was so inspired that I decided to include a poem in my remarks, one that I'm going to read to you now. And let me encourage you to listen to all of it, because only at the end do you see that this is a poem of great hope, great courage, great learning, and humility in the face of fear, just like the journey that we're on together. Okay? And listen to the gratitude. It's called this man, The Man Watching, and it's by Rilke, translated by Robert Bly. Rainier Marie Rilke, great German poet, translated. I can tell by the way the trees beat after so many dull days on my worried window panes that a storm is coming and I hear the far off field say things I can't bear without a friend. The storm, the shifter of shapes, drives on across the woods and across time and the world looks as if it had no age. The landscape, like a line in the psalm book, is seriousness and weight and eternity. What we choose to fight is so tiny. What fights us is so great. If only we could let ourselves be dominated as things do by some immense storm, we would become strong too and not need names. When we win, it's with small things, and the triumph itself makes us small. What is extraordinary and eternal does not want to be bent by us. I mean the angel who appeared to the wrestlers of the Old Testament when the wrestler's sinews grew long like metal strings. He felt them under his fingers like chords of deep music. Whoever was beaten by this angel, who often simply declined the fight, went away proud and strengthened and great from that harsh hand that needed him as if to change his shape. Winning does not tempt that man. This is how he grows by being defeated decisively by constantly greater beings. We're on a great journey. I want to thank you very much for listening today. I hope to see you again. It's such a pleasure to be with you like this. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off.
We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.